hope that's your journey. I hope that's your experience of God. And that uh, more and more and more it's a reality in your life. Let's take a minute and pray. Let's pray together. Gracious God, um, what an amazing thing you do for people like us, where you open our eyes to see our deep need of you. Lord, we're not people who are perfect or even close to it. We're people who are broken. Uh, Lord, we're people who, how we think and how we feel and how we live, Lord, we need made whole. And we need you to open our eyes to see so that we can see the truth of who you are, the truth of who we are, and the salvation that you offer to us, this help that you bring in the person of Christ. God, I pray for every single person here today that you'll help them to see well their own brokenness and their need of you. But even more than that, Lord, help them to see what you offer to them that they might be made whole in Christ. And even now as we look into your word, Lord, as we, um, as we think about where we've come as a human race and what we need, Lord, speak, we pray. Touch each of us deeply. Let this be more than just uh, coming to church. <laughs> Let this be an encounter with you, with your word, with your, your, your truth, uh, that we might know your fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to talk for a, uh, a few weeks about something that... Uh, some things, I suppose I should say, that really make life bad. You think there are the things in your life that make life bad? Now, I don't think there's a person in the room who would say, I don't want to live the good life. I, I, I want to live that life with joy and with gladness and with peace and so forth. But I honestly believe with all my heart there are some things which are pretty consistently present in our lives which, which tend to or threaten to wreck our lives. Um... To do so, what I want to do is go way back to the beginning of the Bible and talk about the story of creation. It's a pretty basic story, and I hope a lot of you have read it. If you haven't, get into Genesis 1, 2, and 3. It's foundational to the whole biblical story. Without it, we don't need the rest. You know that. Uh, God creates everything. He creates the sun, the moon, the mountains, the meadows. He creates the oceans and the fish and the animals and the veg. He creates everything. And then he creates Adam and Eve. He creates people. Um, and they're living the fantastic life at this point. Not just okay, not just good. Their, their life is fantastic. It's an incredible life. You know, they are living in relationship with God. They know his love and, the, and they know his joy. They have this intimate and personal relationship with God. They're pictured walking in the garden. We have old hymns that remind us of that. They are just so connected to God. It's amazing. They have a great relationship with one another, Adam and Eve, in, in this marriage that God has given to them. And there's no conflict, no shame, no sin yet. All their needs are met relationally. Their, na- their needs are met physically. They have food. They have abundance. They have this beauty to encounter uh, in nature. They have, you know, a purposeful work. They find joy in it. Like, it's an incredible existence. It's paradise, literally. And then they sinned. And uh, tempted by the devil disbelieved what God's word said, what he had spoken, and they rebelled against God. And the end of the story, because of what happened in their disobedience, their rebellion, their sin for the first time, God, I think with a heavy heart, casts them out of Eden and he sets an angel with a flaming sword to not allow them back into the good life. Like the really fantastic experience that they had known. Um, 
Paradise was lost, Milton wrote. It was no more. The good life that God had, gave, had given them was gone. In the process, I want to tell you, they changed. And I want you to get the connection between them and us as we go, because we are their descendants. They changed. This thing called sin invaded their lives. It almost became, we would say now, part of our, their and our DNA. It took root in us somehow. Best known result of that was how human beings came to this point of naturally having this natural propensity to do what was wrong in God's eyes, to do things that are contrary to God and to God's will. Somehow it became like breathing for us to go that way as opposed to live in obedience. And sin became powerful in them and in us, so much so that Paul the Apostle has written that we became enslaved to sin. We couldn't say no to it anymore. It controlled us so much that we couldn't break free of it. Anybody here living there? That power at work in their lives right now? It's still a dynamic that the Bible speaks to as it tells us about this existence we live. So we still do things fairly regularly which are wrong, which are sinful according to the mind and the heart and the word of God. And these things harm our lives. And without Christ, we are, and note that, without Christ, we are still barred from Eden. (laughs) This, of course, is why Jesus came, why Jesus died on the cross and rose again to new life. Jesus came to free us from the sin and to reconcile us to God again. Essentially, you know, the biblical, this is the biblical story. It is the problem of humanity and it is the solution of God, which the Bible calls salvation. God coming in Christ to bring us back into relationship with God so that we might encounter and live in the reality of Eden. Cool thought, right? Somehow we can get back to the good life. We're getting back to the good life and it's all centered in the person of Christ. And all we have to do is to come, into, come to Christ himself and to confess our sin and our brokenness before him and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin. And in that moment, and and, and come into my life, I receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. And in that moment, we are reconciled again to God and we can begin to experience what Adam and Eve once knew. Now that's awesome. If we want to live the good life, the Bible says the path is through faith in Jesus. and, And that path takes us into a relationship with God. And with God in our lives, something new can be formed. And we can be set free from this power that has taken hold of us. For a few weeks, though, I want to talk a little more deeply and us to think a little more deeply. More than just, okay, sin has come in and we do things that are wrong and Jesus has died to forgive us for our sins. That is so incredibly important and that's at the heart of this church. And we've talked about that a ton. And we'll never stop talking about it because it's the good news. But I want to talk about some other impacts in our lives that sin have brought, which literally can wreck our lives. They can take the good life that Christ offers, the Eden which we can embrace again, if you would, and diminish our life and diminish our experience. For the influence of sin is deep and it is profound and it is real. And I'm saying this about my life and I'm saying it about yours. So I want to open things up by doing something I rarely do, and that's talk about a theological term. I think I speak theologically, but I don't don't use the terminologies very often, but I want to today. One of the great fathers of the Reformed movement was a man called John Calvin, and he he captured in, in a phrase the reality of what sin has done to us, and he called it total depravity. Who's ever heard that term before? Way up, way up high in the air. 
total depravity. And a lot of people hear the phrase and they go, and I'm going to explain this to you. They go, oh, that sounds ominous. That sounds sinister. That sounds like the most terrible thing I can imagine that somehow they believe, and it's wrong, but they think that total depravity suggests that we are totally depraved in every way, that we're monsters. And they look at their own lives and they say, you know what? I mean, I don't think I'm a monster. I think, you know, I'm not perfect, but there are parts of me that I think are good. And some of us theologically think there's still the reflection of the goodness of God and the image of God in every human being. Total depravity does not mean that we're monsters, that we're totally corrupted and depraved, you know, uh, in life. What it means is this, and I want you to think with me. It means that we are, yeah, totally depraved. And by that, it means this, that we are impacted by sin in every way. In every part of us, to some degree, we are impacted. And that's different, right? So in our thinking... We've been impacted by sin. You know, just like Adam and Eve, we don't believe the right stuff. We don't think the right stuff. We believe the lies that the enemy would want to tell us. And as a result, we, we live in a particular way that causes us to disobey God because our thinking's not right. Our emotional lives, it's not totally corrupted, but it has been impacted. Anybody here ever get angry and wish they hadn't? Now, there are times that anger is an appropriate thing. God gets angry sometimes. But there are lots of times I get angry, and I'll bet you get angry when you go after the fact, man, I was off base. My emotion isn't working very well. You know, you can think about jealousy. You can think about all these emotions that have been tainted by sin. It's not working the way it's intended to work initially. And then there's a the whole idea about our will. You know, we desire things that are contrary to what is right and good for us according to Scripture, according to the mind of God. Do you ever desire things that are wrong according to the Bible, according to God? Of course you do. Because <laughs> our will isn't always on base. It's somehow off. It's a bit broken. It's not totally broken. I desire good things. But sin's had its impact. And my will is needing repaired and restored. And I could go on. Um... You see, the reality is that in every way, every part of our lives, sin has had its impact physically. Before sin, no sickness. I'm sick today. I've got that bug that's going around. I look forward to a day in heaven when I totally embrace Eden again. I won't be sick anymore. Before sin, no no death. (laughs) And there's going to come a day when I totally embrace Eden again, as is the will of God, that we won't experience death anymore. No more crying, no more pain. But we're not there yet. But God desires to take us in that direction, to move us toward that experience of the good life that Adam and Eve knew, and he has sent Christ that we might discover it, that we might know it. The point in all this, my friends, is that we have been changed since Adam and Eve were created. We have been changed for the worst by the power of sin, by evil. And it has taken root in our lives. And what I want to talk about are some of the impacts of that dynamic reality which diminish our lives, which seek to rack our lives, which keep us from what God would have us know day by day by day. And the first one, as we talk about the fallen reality that we have encountered even in our birth, the first one is uh, the experience of fear. Now, I want to talk to you today, and I'm going to try to make the case biblically that fear is something that diminishes your life and mine. A lot of people say, well, I don't think I'm, I, I, I live with a lot of fear in life. I have come to the conclusion we all struggle deeply with the powerful influence of fear. 
Sometimes it's subterranean. You know what I mean by that? It's not obvious to our thinking, but it's there and it's real. So let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Staying with this, this early account of what has happened to us as fallen people. Genesis 3, verses 7 to 10. This is after Adam and Eve have sinned. They're feeling shame. They're covering themselves with leaves and so forth. And this is what it says. At that moment of their sin, their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together and they covered themselves. Something was different. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Um... I want to tell you, my friends, when God heard those words spoken by Adam, something, he would have realized something incredibly significant had happened. <laughs> he knew it had happened, but wow. Because the reality is that up until this point, Adam had never experienced fear. And he'd never said this before. Um basic definition of fear of this. I just went to a dictionary. Simple. It says this, a distressing emotion around an impending danger. You get that, right? Somebody thinks they're in danger, the emotional response is being afraid of it. Eden, pre-sin, had no danger. <laughs> there was nothing to be afraid of. Can you imagine living like that? Never afraid of anything? So here is God. This is pre-sin in Eden. He's providing everything. You know, he's meeting all of their needs. He is with them. Fear is not an issue, only peace and assurance and joy and confidence and acceptance, a complete experience of safety. Um, and into that reality, my friends, comes this thing called sin, and all of a sudden Adam is afraid. They had, he had been changed. His experience of life had been changed, and it had been diminished. Here is something that was wrecking his life. I don't know about you, know, I don't know about you but fear is a part of my life. I, I guess I do think that the fear is a part of your life. I've said that. There's a lot to be afraid of now, if we will allow it. <clears throat> Have you ever faced a major challenge in life, something that's, that's, that's kind of staring you down and you're not sure whether you can meet that challenge? And fear takes hold? Joshua, a young protege of Moses for so many years, faces incredible fear when Moses dies and God comes along to him and says, you know, you're going to have to take over here. And I want you to lead my people into the promised land. Um, and Joshua chapter 1 is an incredible passage where God comes and he tries to allay the fear of Joshua because he's terrified. Let me read Joshua chapter 1 verse 19. I'd love to read the whole passage, and if you'd like to this afternoon or take notes on these texts, go to it because they're so relevant to your life. 
But this is my command, God says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Here's this, here's this man who is facing this huge challenge and c- contemplating potential dangers. You know, I mean, he's, he's going to have to be the general who will lead the army into war, and he's afraid potentially of failure. He's maybe afraid of not measuring up to the example of Moses, this incredible leader that God has given his people. Maybe he's afraid of the Israelite people because they've been cranky more times than Moses could count. And all of a sudden, God's saying, you're my man. You got to do this for me. I'm calling you to this thing. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'd be afraid too. But the Lord comes along and he said, I'm with you. I'll take care of the issues. You don't need to be afraid. Don't fear. You know, sometimes marriages end. Sometimes a spouse passes away at whatever age and and, and a spouse remains. And there's a lot of fear in their lives because the question that they have is, can I go on on my own? Sometimes it's, uh, a marriage fails because of divorce. <laughs> and the same question gets asked, can I do this by myself? And the potential is that fear will grip our lives. This is such a common reality for the human being. I think of a lot of our university students who are out working and are college students, and I'm taking my mind back to my days at university, and that huge paper was due, you know, a significant portion of my mark, and... I I often would fall into fear because I thought somewhere at the back of my mind, I realized that after half my academic career, what was going on, you know, but I was afraid I can't do this. I literally thought I can't do it. And if you literally think you can't do something that you are challenged with and you think you're going to fail because of it, all of a sudden fear overwhelms. And at least in my experience, it moved me toward a lot of procrastination, which is just going, oh, I'm going to pretend that's not there. I'm going to walk away from that because I'm afraid of it. Anybody live with that at any point in life? You see, fear is an insidious thing. It's just present. And it's so powerful when we face challenges that we literally don't think we can tackle. What does God say to Joshua? He says, every place you put your foot is yours. (laughs) He's just like, you walk over here, Joshua, I'm giving it to you. You walk over here, I'm going to give you that too. God is powerful, the passage says. God can provide just like he did in Eden. God can do what needs done. You don't need to be afraid in the face of your challenge, Joshua, because I'm going to take care of it. (laughs) What would that have provided to Joshua? It have provided him a sense of peace and of confidence and of assurance. It would have taken away his fear. Anybody here faced with a challenge and you're afraid because you don't think you might be able to do what's now required of you? There's another thing that I've lived with a lot of fear in my own life. There's some kind of obviously autobiographical stuff going on here, but have you ever been afraid of the opinions or the words of people? No, you, you know, a lot of people could hear me ask that question. Oh, not me, Chris. I don't care what people think about, you know. Eh. I am convinced that one of the most powerful fears in our lives is our fear of what others think of us. Listen to Isaiah chapter 51, verse 7. It says this, listen to me. I always take note when God says that in the Bible, by the way. I hope you will too. It's really interesting where God says, listen to me. Because you know what he wants you to do? He wants you really to listen. Brilliant, huh? Yeah. Listen to me, you who know right from wrong and who cherish my law in your hearts. Do not be afraid of people's scorn, nor fear their insults. Honestly, my friends... 
I spent a large portion of my life, and again at a deeper level, something going on back here, you know what I mean? Afraid of what people thought of me and afraid of potential criticism and condemnation. Um, Somehow I believed, faulty thinking, that there was a real threat to my life if people were critical of me. Now that's thinking that's askew. (laughs) It's not right. It's not true. People can think what they want of me and it doesn't necessarily harm me. For a big part of my life, I honestly thought that, man, people can really hurt me with their words. They can hurt me if they don't somehow approve of me. And I want to tell you that drove my life into unhealthy people-pleasing for a long time. And quite frankly, into excessive work in order to get people to think I was an okay guy. And it's only in recent years God has come in a powerful and in a deep way and he has spoken truth into that faulty thinking of mine and he has said to me, it doesn't matter what people say of you, the only thing that matters is what I say of you. And what he says of me and what he says of you is, I love you. You are my precious child. You know, when we live with that kind of thinking, belief, if you want to call it that, in our minds, literally it doesn't matter anymore if people are unhappy with you or critical of you or if you have to live with their scorn or insults. You know, the most, one of the most powerful forces in a teenager's life, a Christian teen's life, any teen's life in high school, get people to like me because I can't survive without that. Uh-uh-uh, faulty thinking. Total depravity kicking in. My friends, what we need to know is that God approves of us and that God loves us. And all of a sudden we're set free of the fear of the opinions of other people. Anybody afraid of conflict? Now, I know, I know people might say something like this. Oh, I don't like conflict. No, it's not my thing. I just tend to leave it alone. You know what they're saying is that at a deep level, people are afraid of conflict. And a lot of us, maybe most of us, likely most of us are. Because somehow we think in our faulty thinking, our depraved mind, the Bible calls, that somehow we are literally in danger because of the experience of conflict. And a lot of people run away from conflict and they, they just leave it alone because of that. And as a result, marriages really suffer. Can't work out our conflicts which are inevitable when two people are two sinful people are in such intimate relationship. Our marriages suffer and our relationships in the church suffer and our relationships at work suffer and our relationships with our friends suffer and often fail because of fear that's somehow rooted in the DNA of human beings. Let me read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. This is Paul speaking, of course, speaking to the Corinthians, writing to the Corinthian church. When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. Ever think your life is like that? No rest, (laughs) no peace. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. I've been one of those guys. I hate conflict. (laughs) My tendency is to run away from it. I've learned that I can't. But it's me struggling to get back to Eden. Me recognizing that God is with me just like he was with Joshua and he's powerful and he is real and I don't have to be afraid of this thing because God can actually use it to bring good in a relationship, whatever that relationship might be. And he can see us through this and bring 
next verse talks about righteousness. A lot of you might stand back and say, Chris, you know, I, I know that the Bible is just full with these commandments, of, uh, and they are commandments to not fear, and God says it over and over and over again because he doesn't want us to live in fear. It diminishes our lives. It harms us. And, you know, you can talk about the challenges which we face or the reproach of people, the scorn that they might bring into our lives and conflict, but sometimes life is really dangerous. Sometimes there's real, there is the potential of, of, of harm to us. I want you to listen to King David in Psalm 91, verses 1 to 4. Then we'll carry on a little bit in this. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High, those who are in Christ, the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That's the place of no fear, resting in Him. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. Isn't that a great word? He is my God and I trust Him. And David could write this because his mind had been transformed. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. Now he's starting to talk about real threat in life. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. The solution to fear is a knowledge of God and his active presence in our lives. Active presence. It's real that God is with us. Note the ability of God, or the activity, I should say, of God in these verses I read, as I read them to you. Verse 5. Do not be afraid. There it is again. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times the people of God are told not to fear. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrows that fly by day. Why would David be afraid of arrows flying by day? <laughs> I'll tell you, he was a warrior. He was a, he was a king. He was a general. And one arrow could come from nowhere and his life would end. He had enemies. And he writes, do not be afraid of the terrors of the night nor the arrows that fly by day. <laughs> he had real threats in his life. Verse 6. Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Disease? Out of nowhere we can get sick and die. Some people live with that sort of ongoing existential fear that's just present all the time and the bible says to us don't and said as david wrote this don't fear that god will take care of you verse seven though a thousand may fall at your side though ten thousand are dying around you these evils will not touch you this man went into battle battles kill people and he wasn't willing to let fear rule his life knowing that god was with him god knowing that god was making a difference in his life and then verse eight just open your eyes, you who were once blind. <laughs> you who once didn't think the way God now wants you to think according to his truth. And see how the wicked are punished, not the righteous. God is with you. God will protect you. God will keep you in his care. And then verses 14 to 16. Again, read the whole passage. Contemplate this passage every day for a week and let God powerfully impact your life. The Lord says, I will rescue. There's the action of God. I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue. There it is again. And honor them. I will reward them with long life and give them my salvation. My goodness, what an assurance to the people of God that the Lord is with us in any trial, any difficulty, any struggle, any experience of fear, and that he will intervene and that he will see us through. Remarkable. You see, God wants us to think right, 
so that we feel good and right and as a result take us back to Eden and the experience of what once was. Let me take you back to Genesis chapter 3 and to the most direct application of this text. We've talked about how before sin there was no fear. There was only an experience of safety in God and, and how now we've moved to this place of being afraid because of the power of sin in our lives and how God wants us to go back to Eden. But the most direct application comes to us in um, Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 8 to 10 again. And I want you to ask the question of yourself, what is Adam afraid of? All right? Genesis 3, 8 to 10. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Don't answer out loud. But who was Adam afraid of? What was Adam afraid of? At the most basic level, I want to tell you, he was afraid of God. He was afraid that God would look at him and see his sin and understand his rebellion. For the first time in Adam's life, he was literally afraid of God. Not the reverence of God kind of fear that we're called to otherwise. This was an actual fear, afraid what God would think of him and what God would do with him. In this moment, God became a danger. And a threat to his well-being. Uh, you know that fear is wired into human beings still? Until they come to a different way of thinking about God. And until they come to a place of believing differently than they have before. Until they come to that place where ultimately they recognize that in Christ... God, well, that God is a God of love regardless, <laughs> as well as being a God of judgment and a God of justice. And as a result, God sent his son, the Lord Jesus, into this world so that we could be forgiven of our sin, so that we could be set free from it, freed from its shame, shame freed from its power, so that we could be brought into this intimate relationship again with the living God, so that we might know his love so that we could be set free from fear, so that we would know again the peace and the joy and the assurance and the confidence that we can have all because of Christ. All we need to do as human beings is come to that place of recognizing our need for forgiveness and asking it of God in Christ's name and inviting him into our lives and embracing the Lord again as our friend. And in that instance, God throws wide his arms and he embraces us and he says, now you are mine, you are forgiven. And you are free. First John 4.18 says this. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. Think of Adam. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Here's the deal. We're all on a journey toward coming to that place where our thinking has been made right. And ultimately, we come to that place where we are made perfect in love. We get it. We understand it. We fully believe it. That we have now been forgiven and that the judgment that was our due is gone. It has been placed upon the person of Christ on the cross. 
the punishment, the penalty of our sin, the shame, the guilt, it's, it was literally placed in the person of Jesus. He suffered our hell for us as he died on the cross. And it is gone. If you've been here long, you know one of my favorite verses, Romans ch- chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore, the, f- for those of us who are in Christ, uh, there is no condemnation. No condemnation, so we need not fear God anymore. Nothing of that reality. A few months ago, I asked you to engage in an exercise, and if you would like, I'm going to ask you to do the very same thing again today because it fits so well. If you're comfortable, uh, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Just kind of picture yourself before the Lord. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to note the instant response that comes into your mind and your heart when the question has been asked of you. So if you'd like to engage in that, you can go ahead. If you'd rather keep your eyes open, that's fine too. But the question is this. When you think of God thinking of you, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Keep your eyes closed. When you think of God thinking of you, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? You know, for a lot of believing people even those who are in christ the first thing that comes to their mind is disappointment of god the disapproval of god the condemnation of god and they want to hide from him because they are afraid of god and what he might do to them let me tell you this my friends perfect love drives out all fear For those of us who are in Christ, the penalty has been taken. It is done and it is gone. And now the Lord sees you only through the eyes of love. Take a minute. If you like to keep your eyes closed, just do it. And sit in the presence of your God who looks at you only through the eyes of love. In that place, you need to have no fear. No fear of him. No fear of what he might do. All that exists in that place when our thinking is right And our feeling is aligned is that we can find safety in him. We can find peace in him. We can come to that place when we are confident in him because he loves us. I'm going to read to you Isaiah, verse 1 to the beginning of verse 3. And we'll conclude. But now, O Jacob, those of you who belong to God, listen. (laughs) Listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you go through deep waters, and yes, they will come, I will be with you, God promises. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. 
For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Let me pray. Gracious God, there is much in this world of ours that, uh, um, that calls us to fear. Lord, when we forget about your presence and your power and your promises of protection and of provision, we can become people in whom fear is significant. But God, when we come to this place of thinking right and believing what you have spoken and trusting in your presence and your power, fear dissipates as we remember your love for us. God, we would pray today that you would free us from the power of fear. Lord, where it exists, will you reveal it to us? And when it's revealed, Father, we pray that you will cause us to be people who believe aright the things that you have spoken. Cause us to be people, Lord, who find rest in Christ and all that he has done for us. Most of all, our God, help us never to fear you as a danger but only understand your love for us. God, break the power of sin in our lives that we might walk back and into Eden. Help us to know you. Help us to trust you. Help us to feel safe, our God, in you. In Jesus' name.